everyone. Welcome to the Feeling Lighter podcast, the podcast where we shed old beliefs that no longer serve us one episode at a time. The bottom line being how you feel about yourself changes everything. Yes. So true. We are um, fanning out a little bit over here today with the with the guest. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to talk about this topic, and then listeners are going to be like, "Why are you guys? Why is why is the feeling lighter uh, podcaster we shape talking about this?" And and I want to explain why. So we have Dr. Ramani on today. She is a narcissist expert. And um, I want to remind people that the intention behind this podcast and focusing on the mentality of, of WeShape is that we're getting people to connect with themselves, right? We've been given so many messages with diet culture, with toxic exercise culture that take us away from self. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happens in narcissistic dynamics is that narcissists take us away from self. Mm-hmm. And so I had curiosity, you know, we can learn something about this today. Mm-hmm. And maybe somebody who's in a narcissistic relationship can become aware of that mm-hmm. and that this would be really valuable for our community. I mean, of course, I hope that's not what's happening, but. It's likely happening. Yeah. Right. It's likely. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important because one of the pillars of a narcissist is to take you away from self. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think it's important information. So let's let's jump in because Lisa and I did a lot of prep for this and we have way too many questions. Way so too many questions. <laughs> let's have you start with her bio and then we'll introduce her. Okay, yes. When Katie says fanning out, she's talking about me a lot because I've been like so excited. Um, So honored to have you here. Dr. Romani Devasala is a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California, professor emerita of psychology at California State University, Los Angeles, and the founder and CEO of Luna Education Training and Consulting, a company focused on educating individuals, clinicians, and businesses and institutions on the impact of narcissistic personality styles. Her academic research was focused on the impact of personality and personality disorders on health and behavior. She is an author of multiple books, including It's Not You, Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People in February of 2024, Should I Stay or Should I Go, Surviving a Relationship with a Narcissist, and Don't You Know Who I Am, How to Stay Sane in an Era of Narcissism, Entitlement, and incivility in her newest book, It's Not You, Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People, will be released in February. Um, Dr. DeVarsala is a faculty member for the APA Leadership Institute for Women in Psychology and a consulting editor for the journal Behavioral Medicine. She has spoken widely on the impact of narcissism on mental health, relationships, and the workplace. She also operates a popular YouTube channel and podcast, Navigating Narcissism, I'm a subscriber. Dr. DeRosla is also working with PSI on the development of an educational and certification program for clinicians working with clients experiencing the fallout of narcissistic relationships. Welcome, Dr. Romani. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, I want to start with this question. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have, I'll be honest, I've only recently come to know your work in the last month, and I've just been Mm -hmm. so impressed and so just stunned by just things I didn't know uh, about this topic. Mm -hmm. And what I did, I think prior to looking into your your work and what you were doing, Mm -hmm. I 
thought like narcissism was just like this buzzy word and everybody was using it. So and so's a narcissist there. And so I really didn't think much about it until I started to um, encounter narcissists more and be uh, recognized. Mm -hmm. And my therapist actually suggested your work to me. So I would love if you could kind of explain for our listeners who maybe are seeing this word on social media and how buzzy it is, like what clarity is on what narcissism is versus like mm-hmm. narcissistic traits um, and just so they can have a better understanding of what it is because I don't think everyone really knows and, and that's why your work is so important. Thank you so much. Thank you and thank mm-hmm. you for the lovely warm great introduction and all <laughs> of that and, and for having me. Um, nar- it, there's so much misunderstanding. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You turn on TikTok or anything these days it's just it's nothing but sadly a lot of confusion and misinformation, right? Mm-hmm. So narcissism's a personality style. It's a maladaptive, rigid, rigid, not very healthy personality style, but it's a personality style. Okay. Narcissism by itself is not a personality disorder. And in a way, we don't even need to concern ourselves with that because this concept of it being a disorder really muddies the water. It requires a person doing a clinical evaluation. Mm -hmm. So nobody conversationally is going to know if somebody has narcissistic personality disorder. Calling someone narcissistic is not diagnostic. It's an observation. A person who is narcissistic. Yeah. So it's not that. And I think a lot of people say, you can't say they're narcissistic. You don't know their diagnosis. You haven't diagnosed. No, 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 no. For a person with narcissistic personality disorder, we call them a client with narcissistic personality disorder. We would not call them a narcissist nor would we call a person who has a major depressive disorder a depressed. We oh, see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, we would actually you know, use the designation as part of sort of a description. This is a client who has a substance use disorder and they have narcissistic personality disorder. We wouldn't say this is a narcissist with substance use disorder, okay? Oh, okay. So just to keep, the, it gives you some clarity there. Mm-hmm. Now, a person who has a narcissistic personality style has a personality style that's characterized by variable, shallow, um, sometimes very little empathy, mm-hmm. uh, entitlement, grandiosity, arrogance, selfishness, validation and admiration seeking. Mm. Uh, they might envy other people. They think other people envy them. They take advantage of other people. Uh, these are people who can be very controlling. They're very superficial, shallow, mm-hmm. vain. They are very manipulative in relationships. They can often engage in tactics like gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are motivated by power, dominance, and control. And as I give you this larger description, some people may understand the, might want to understand the why. Why is a person's personality like this? Yeah. Because underlying yeah. all of this is really a sense of insecurity and, and a lot of repressed shame. Mm. This is a person who actually has a, and this shame and this, and this insecurity are so deeply embedded that they're not even in touch with it. But, for example, if you were to even make the slightest dig at them, there'll be this really disproportionate reaction because it's unprocessed. And so when those feelings come up with them, they come up as massive rage. And all of these things like the entitlement and the arrogance and the selfishness are defenses, kind of keeping them, again, in this powerful position so that that kind of inadequate part of themselves doesn't come popping up. That's narcissism. (laughs) Whoa. So I would... So I'm curious then, like people who are struggling with this, like vulnerability, for instance, that's not probably one of the traits that pops up, right? Like, can they be wrong? Like, help me understand even a little bit more. Because I mean, <laughs> okay, so it might help you to know what the no is. So, like, what is, narcissism is not. It's not just selfishness, right? Okay. So, if some somebody's like, gosh, this person is so selfish. They're so narcissistic. I'd say, 
slow your roll for a minute. And we yeah. need to know a little bit more about this person. If it's only selfishness, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily a narcissistic. Somebody says this person's always posting selfies. They're always taking pictures of their dinner. We're always having to see one more sunset they're standing in front of. May not be a narcissistic person. We need to know more. Mm-hmm. A person will say, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. Every time we go into a restaurant, they're, they're rude to the servers. It's like, I'm very important. Don't you know who I am? probably a narcissistic person, but still not entirely sure, right? So these these sorts of pieces that were often like selfishness and vanity and all of that, people are often quick to jump on that. You'll see this this happen all the time on social media. My boyfriend cheated on me. He's a narcissist. You're him cheating on you does not qualify him as a narcissist. It hurt you. It's not nice. And a lot of narcissistic people cheat, but Mm -hmm. we don't, we need to know more about this guy. So you see what I'm saying? Often people are grabbing that one thing to this point about insecurity. We're all insecure. I often argue that the narcissistic person is sort of pathologically insecure and the rest of us are conventionally insecure. Mm. And so they Mm. will very much that that conventional insecurity we have means we're more likely to be willing to blame ourselves in a conversation. So they'll say, this is all your fault because they're not going to be able to hold on to it. They're so insecure that the idea there could be something wrong with them ain't going to fly. So they'll push that out on me. You know why I did this wrong? This is your fault because you're not a good partner. And I might believe that because my insecurity is also there, but maybe not at the same unprocessed level is there. I'm a, a well aware that, you know, that I'm insecure. So not all insecure people are narcissistic either. Most people in our current day and age are pretty insecure. That's just yeah. sadly what our economic structures do. It's what social media does. It's just sort of how people are raised. It's the nature of the beast these days and probably for a long time. So insecurity doesn't make a person narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that insecurity piece is tricky because this person is behaving in all of these terrible, harmful ways. Right. But then some people will say, oh, I don't know. They're insecure. I feel bad for them. You can feel bad for them all you want. They're not going to stop attacking you. So if you're a sucker for punishment and you want to sign up for that, I tell people, you do you. Mm-hmm. You're not going to win a Nobel Prize and no one's going to congratulate you. know, one thing that's not going to happen is that narcissistic person's not going to roll up and thank you and say, thank you for being my punching bag. Ooh. Mm. I got shields a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to stay in the same path but you mentioned the term gaslighting which I think is another term Mm -hmm. and I heard you explain this really really well on another show so can you talk about like the difference between uh, having a narcissistic personality and gaslighting and Mm -hmm. if one makes you the other and vice versa Mm -hmm. so gaslighting is a tactic right it's not a personality it's something people do in a relationship it's a it's a it's a communication tactic. I won't even say it's a style. It's a tactic. Okay. And gaslighting is a manipulation. It is the denial of another person's reality, experience, mm. perceptions, memories, with the goal of destabilizing them. But it doesn't just stop at the denial. After the person is destabilized by the denial, I never said that. I never did that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're making that up. You remembered that wrong. How could you not know where the keys are? They're exactly where I left them, that kind of thing. Then the gaslighter goes in and really destabilizes the person by saying there's something wrong with them. I never mm-hmm. said that. You know, you, you should really get checked out. You've been forgetting a lot of stuff lately. Or mm-hmm. I didn't move the keys. and. You're always misplacing stuff. Like, what's wrong with you? I'm beginning to wonder, like, you need to get some therapy or something. Oh. Or you, you, I, I didn't get at the home that late last night, even though you might literally have, like, the, alarm, the, the record that shows what the time <laughs> right. the door was open, right? Like, 
I saw it. The door was open at 1045. You're showing them. And they'll say, okay, so great. Now I live in a surveillance state with a paranoid person. Do you see what I'm saying? They're never going to cop to it. They're they're pushing these accusations on the other person. Each time that happens, it destabilizes the person further and further if they don't understand what gaslighting is. And if it happens over a protracted period of time, a person is left very destabilized, very confused, isolated, fearful, and over time they end up just fully just giving in to the mm. gaslighter. They don't even they don't get they don't give into it and they don't they don't get into it anymore because they they just don't even trust themselves anymore. Now, all narcissistic people gaslight, not all gaslighters are narcissistic. So if you can kind of keep that distinction, gaslighting is a core dynamic of these relationships, but there are other patterns in which gaslighting shows up. In and of itself, it's a very toxic, harmful pattern, but they're not necessarily synonymous per se, Mm -hmm. because it is indeed, it's a tactic. It's not a personality style. Gotcha. I mean, the other thing that I think about um, when I think about people who are struggling with narcissism is this idea that Um, how do we, how are we supposed to view this as a collective whole? Like, are we supposed to be villainizing this pop, you know, percentage of the population? Are we supposed to be offering space like and and opportunities for healing? Because I think one of the tricky things that I've heard, and you would be able to tell me if I'm on the right path here is this idea that like, it's kind of hard to heal from narcissism because you have to have self-awareness and reflection and vulnerability and want to do that work. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I always want to figure out a way where we don't stigmatize some things so that somebody can come in and feel like, oh, I, maybe I could get help for that. Or is, is that like a path that's not even right. worth it? Yeah. Listen, narcissism, there, there's a lot of ways people get this kind of personality. Does that make sense? So yeah. the, the, the path to becoming narcissistic is it's a social developmental path. It happens over the course of childhood. For a subset of narcissistic people, they become narcissistic through a pathway of adversity. They had things happen in their childhood, adverse experiences, traumas, chaos, neglect, invalidation, um, inconsistency, things that are destabilizing for a child. And when that happens for children, especially children with more fragile temperaments, that can put them at risk of becoming narcissistic. But let me tell you, the vast majority of people who grow up that way do not become narcissistic. The other path to becoming narcissistic as an adult is to have an overindulged childhood. You're the most special child in the world. No child is more special than you. These are wow. children who may be materially overindulged. They don't, um, they, they're never told they have to regulate. They're sore losers. They're, they're parent, they'll watch their parents berate and yell at coaches or teachers, and they really think that they should be able to get away with anything they want. They're given you know, inappropriate gifts too much, too, too much, but... They also often aren't emotionally nurtured. So they get all this stuff, 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 but they're quite emotionally impoverished. That's another path. Again, the vast majority of people raised that way don't become narcissistic. So these are not deterministic pathways. Mm-hmm. They are, they, we know them to be true, but still the majority of people who experience this don't become that. So all of that said, that then led, leads a person to this place of narcissism. But then there's a twist. Society incentivizes this pattern. Narcissistic people make more money. They have more success at dating. They're overrepresented in leadership. Look at our economy now, and you look at the roster of billionaires out there. I mean, you're not going to be able to swing a cat at that without hitting a lot of narcissistic folks. That narcissism (laughs) was actually an asset 
and then making that kind of money, right? Nobody comes by a billion dollars honestly, and it's a lot easier to break the rules if you're narcissistic. Yet we revere these people, right? We revere celebrities. Celebrities are more likely to be narcissistic. So the fact of the matter is, is the very people we're putting on pedestals are in possession of this trait. It's a very confusing message about mm. is this good or is this bad, okay? Yeah. It's fine if you're watching it from a distance. It's horrific if you're in it. So that takes us to the question you're asking, which is a very important one, and it's created a lot of confusion for people who are survivors of these relationships. For a person who is narcissistic, one of the things we know to be true is that they, they have low self-awareness and they have low self-reflective capacity. They have a very hard time reflecting on their motivations, on how they affect other people. That's an empathy deficit, right? They're actually quite good in terms of the emotional intelligence at, at sussing out other people. That's why they're great salespeople, but they're not good at doing that within themselves, okay? So they can sell to other people, they can play other people, but they don't know themselves, which makes them terrible candidates for therapy. All right. When narcissistic people come to therapy and they do come to therapy, I'd say for a while, and I've worked with many, many narcissistic people in the, in the many years I've been a therapist, one point, 20, 25% of my practice was narcissistic clients. Wow. They come to therapy, but not for their narcissism. They come to therapy because they're having relationship problems. They come to therapy because they were caught out in an affair. They come to therapy because they got publicly, publicly shamed for something, or they come to therapy for something else, addiction, perhaps depression, bipolar disorder, anxiety. There's other things that bring them in the door. The narcissism makes therapy very difficult because we're not able to do a lot of insight-oriented work or they're shifting blame onto other people. You know, listen, the reason I cheated on my wife is, and they'll blame the wife, but they're like, oh, she expects me to come in, so come on, doc, let's just do 10 sessions and then, you know what, well, I can go back and it'll be all done. They almost view it as a transaction, like let me get this done and over with. And, you know, I once had a client who astutely called himself a self-aware narcissist. And I really loved that characterization because he kind of got it. He got himself in a way. He really did. And in his case, he said, you know, I am actually not really interested in people's emotions. I find people ridiculous, kind of boring and dumb. I'm a super smart guy. I shouldn't have to waste my time mopping up tears and blah, 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 la, la, la. Very contemptuous, wow. very dismissive. And in that process, he was hurting his wife. He was hurting his mistress. He was hurting his wife with his mistress. And we spent a few years on this. And towards the end of the therapy, again, self-aware narcissist, actually was able to do insight-oriented work. I could push on him, and he wouldn't get mad at me, right? It was, it was quite unusual. Mm. But at the end of it all, he said, I, no, I'm, never, I'm not going to care about these other people's feelings. Like, I, do, I am too important and do not have this kind of time. Always. He divorced the wife, he broke up with the mistress, and it was off into the sunset. I mean, it was that a win? I think so, because those other people weren't getting hurt. So when you get a narcissistic <laughs> client into therapy, right, the, you would need, you kind of are waiting for the unicorn. You're waiting for somebody who is so motivated, willing to be vulnerable, has money, because they're going to have to go to therapy for years, mm. and you're not going to get insurance to pay for that for years unless you've got some real honking insurance. That means you've got money. Okay, so they're going to have to be in it for years with a ridiculously skilled therapist who can put up with their nonsense and doesn't sort of pull, pull back from that. It's exhausting for the therapist. And you also have to be prepared that they might make small changes, but are they going to transform into an agreeable, kind, compassionate, loving person that can have a long-term, committed, sustained, mutual and reciprocal relationship? No. So what that means is, 
for people out there who are in relationships with these people. This isn't about it's us versus them. I have spent a lot of time bringing grace and compassion to narcissistic people. It's been a damn full-time job for me. This has cut every corner of my life, my family, past intimate relationships, friendships, and workplace. It's turned my life upside down. My life wouldn't be what it is, good or bad, if it weren't for those relationships. I never believe in intentional cruelty. But what I cannot get behind is people being told, well, find grace in your heart, support them, be kind to them. And they're not doing any of that. That yeah. is meeting halfway at the 50-yard line. And when the narcissistic person's walking to the 10-yard line and everyone's told, make up the 90 yards, meet them where they're at because they're suffering, I can't get behind that. I'm watching too many people being turned into a more emotional support animals. And it's got to stop because yeah. we're blaming the people in these relationships. It's a witch hunt. You're being mean. You're demonizing them. But they're not taking responsibility. The people who are harmed by these relationships are going into therapy for years yeah. continuing to go back in. It's like patching up someone after a prize fight, getting punched up some more. And the narcissistic people aren't doing the work. They're not being vulnerable. So that imbalance is one that the mental health industry has kept in place for years. They will blame the people in the relationships and say, but the narcissistic people there, we, won't, we don't want to be mean to them. We're wow. a lot meaner to the survivors. Oh. So let's assume somebody starts to say, hey, maybe I'm in a relationship with someone that might have narcissistic Mm -hmm. personality disorder. What's the next steps for them to make sure this is the case? And if it is the case, what steps do they take to, you know, maybe exit that relationship if that's the uh, course of action they're looking to take to provide themselves some sense of sanity and grounding? So I'm going to shape that question differently. I don't even think it's fair for anyone to ask, what if I'm in a relationship with someone with narcissistic personality disorder? Because they're never going to be able to ascertain that. Mm -hmm. They're never going to be able to learn that from a therapist. You know what I'm saying? Short of them going to couples therapy Mm -hmm. and the couples therapist calling it out right there in the room, you're never going to know that, number one. And number two, I'm going to give your answer, a a question, a peculiar answer, which is it kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We're getting so lost in the word narcissism that what we're missing are the patterns that characterize these relationships. Mm -hmm. Invalidation, dismissiveness, manipulation, rage, domination, gaslighting, um, uh, devaluation, um, betrayal. You know, that list goes on and on. If those things are happening in your relationship, it's almost less necessary that you need to chase out and figure out if they're narcissistic, which is what a lot of people waste their time, they're wasting their time like, Okay, are they narcissistic? Um, it doesn't matter. Look at these things that they're doing to you. Right. And look yeah. at what's happening to you. I think we're getting so caught up in this idea of are they narcissistic that people aren't paying attention to terrible things are happening here. People will go to a doctor and say, I got, I got a diagnosis for this. I'm like, you're sick. Let's start with that and let's take care of you like a sick person. And I think with that, at least you can treat that. There's no treatment here. Mm. So that then takes us to another place. Now that, And I think to be able to define behaviors as unhealthy, some people sometimes say, well, I mean, I don't know, like maybe it's partly my fault too. And, our, and I am so tired of the rhetoric of, well, everything in a relationship is 50-50. It's actually not when mm-hmm. one person's abusing another person and the other person's not abusing. The, you know, it's, it's, that's not, a, that's that's not. not 50-50. You know what I'm saying? And that's a big mistake. So let's even get away with us. Pay attention to the, the patterns that are unhealthy that characterize these relationships. Here's the next piece. Not everyone can leave these relationships. I'd say it's 50-50 if a, that a person could leave. So... And I'm very, very, very careful 
to make sure people know that it's not a now now that you recognize that this relationship has narcissistic patterns or this person is all the things we talked about unempathic and entitled and grandiose and all and arrogant and all of that it's not about now i gotta go it's i i what do i do mm. and for some people it's like i'm out and and you know some people get out but some people will say i can't and the reasons they can't include practical reasons like money and housing religion culture minor children fear what will happen if i leave this person's going to get really mad at me or my community is going to tell me i've let them down so many many cultures are still quite uh biased against uh for example divorce um they may still love the person we can talk smack about narcissists all we want but we love these folks they're still yeah. our parents and our partners and our adult children and our friends these are people there is still love for even within the framework of, of limitation. Um, there, you know, there's hope. I think the hardest thing to let go of in these relationships is people will stay for years, decades, multi-decades, thinking maybe, maybe once we have kids, maybe when we have a house, maybe when they get the promotion, maybe when we have more money, maybe when they finally retire, maybe, 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 maybe. The goalposts keep moving and moving because people have hope for change. Part of sort of healing from this is lifting the hope. Radical acceptance, this is not going to change. And I'll tell clients pretty early in the game, if I were to tell you nothing is going to change in these patterns, what are you going to do? And the first thing that hits them is a tsunami of grief because yeah. their entire narrative was based on the idea that something could be done. Really nothing can because the vast majority of narcissistic folks will not go in to do the kind of therapy they would need to do. And the amount of change, even if they did hard work, might not be enough to make amends and fix the harms to the relationships that they've already harmed. Maybe down the road, something like that. But I, again, I haven't seen tons of evidence of that. And I've, I've watched people evolve through the narcissistic thing 10 to 15 years. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, they'll drop out of therapy for a while, come back, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're nothing. You know, tiny bits, sometimes they say thank you a little bit more. Saying thank you to a therapist is not going to translate into something meaningful into a relationship, right? Does that make sense? So yeah. working, with a, with, working with folks and people deciding, okay, I can't go. I'm not dealing with family court. I don't want to have shared custody of my kids. Whatever it may be, I can't afford to, LA is an expensive city. We, I can't, we can't afford two rents. I can't afford to go live someplace else. Whatever it may be. Once you hit radical acceptance, it may be that you're engaging in workarounds, you know, saying, okay, I've got to have realistic expectations. This person is not going to hold up their side of the relationship. This person has low frustration tolerance and is probably going to take it out on me. And the best I can do is not personalize it. Wow. So that's what it's, it's a, it's a much more nuanced process. I mean, it's a luxury to be, Oh boy, I'm with a narcissistic person. I'm Audi. It, it's it, very people, few people have access to that kind of a, a simple sort of step out. And even if they do leave, there's still a lot of confusion and doubt. Maybe I didn't do the wrong thing mm -hmm. because narcissistic relationships are confusing. The beginning is magnificent. Love bombing and idealization and seduction and fairy tale. And you think they hung the moon and they think you hung the moon. And it's a mutual admi admiration society until it's not. Mm -hmm. And people often want to go back to that. And they will make deals with the devil and beyond to say, what do I need to do to get it back to the beginning? If you don't understand the beginning is a tactic, you're trying to swim back to a place that no longer exists. It's like a carnival that they've packed up and that's hit the road. Oh my God. We'll be back in just a moment. 
As a reminder, the Feeling Lighter podcast is a part of WeShape, a fitness app that is taking a very different approach. And I wanted to let everyone know about our upcoming Best Moves For You Masterclass that WeShape is hosting that you can sign up for free. Take a look at weshape.com forward slash class or click the link in the show notes. And now back to the Feeling Lighter podcast. I'm so glad that you spoke to the reality of how people don't always get out of these relationships because I think the notion is like, yeah, you're right. This isn't working. I'm out. But there are many reasons why people don't leave these relationships. And I, I had not considered like this idea that you're trying to get back to something that you had before and like holding on to that hope. Cause we see holding on to hope as a really good thing. Like you don't want to give up hope. You want to stay optimistic about things, but this is a, a different case, and I think it's so important to highlight that um, this idea that you're trying to swim back to, it's, it's not there. It's gone. It's packed up. And it's I'm, I'm going to be sitting with that for a long time. So thank you for, for saying that. Um, yeah, that, that's really all I had to say about that. I just felt overwhelmed with that, that, that statement. I'm, I'm that, curious well, hope about... Is, hope is dangerous. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. That, yeah. that was an important comment no, you were saying. Hope, hope is dangerous in a narcissistic relationship. And you're right. We're like hope and everyone can change. And there's this capacity in everyone, perhaps, but it could be a lot of work. I mean, your focus here is on health and wellness and people leaning into healthier lives, not just through exercise and how they eat, but just how they think about themselves. That's a heavy lift. That's a really heavy lift. And when people can get there, you know, it's interesting. The 2023 year word of the year was authenticity. I think that's a blessing and a curse. It's a nice word. It beats the hell out of gaslighting, which is the 2022 <laughs> word of the year. But in a way that that's what you're pushing for, for people to be their whole selves. Because once we are authentic, there's a natural draw to being healthy, yeah. right? Because we are in our true selves. These relationships strip that. Mm-hmm. But this idea of telling people, you know, it's, and the interesting thing is, but you're, it's not as simple as give up hope on them, but mm-hmm. it's really that w- the narrative you hoped for for this relationship right. of a deep, sustained, loving, um, reciprocal, equitable relationship, it's not possible with this person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make them a bad person. It doesn't mean they're out of your life. But that thing you hoped for is gone. There may be hope for the self at that point to say, I have been barking up the wrong tree for years. And some people who say, listen, I can't get out. For cultural reasons, a lot of people can't get out. And they say, I think I'm going to have to focus on other parts of myself. They'll stay in a hollowed out marriage and they might, activities that are meaningful and purposeful, career, children, volunteer pursuits, they'll build out other areas of their life and recognize that this part of their life, this part of their life story wasn't that gratifying. That's a bumpy, jagged pill to swallow. It really is. But there's a truth there. And I think that if we don't speak about it in those blunt terms, we're not taking it. Because for some people, that's the choice they're making. I don't think that that's a desolate life. I think that that's a life where a person's very clear on what they're choosing, and they can still build out a very authentic life in those other spaces. Maybe this relationship didn't work. Like, for example, we can't choose our parents. If you have a narcissistic parent, you can't go back and say, yeah, I'd like to trade this one in. (laughs) You're going to have to then figure out how that, you know, how that shapes who you are in the world and how you continue to interact with that person. So one thing that I was really hoping to ask, because it seems like through your work, you're really highlighting a lot of like, hello, this is like happening a lot and no one's really talking about it. And it's really prominent in our culture. And uh, 
Like, do you have any estimates around how many people in the population are struggling with this or or are presenting in this way with narcissistic? Personality styles? Mm -hmm. So if we look at the epidemiological data on narcissistic personality disorder, the literature suggests with the disorder, meaning that you've either been in a research study where they've been formally assessed or it's a community sample of people who've worked clinically, one to six percent. That's NPD. The struggle we have is coming up with that number of what it is of people who have a significant enough presence of narcissistic traits or personality patterns to qualify as something that's observable and a problem. This is a spitballed number, but that range is probably somewhere between 15 and 20%. So somewhere between one in six and one in five people have a significant enough amount of narcissism to probably be causing difficulties in most of their relationships. That's a lot. That's a lot. Do you see it more among men or women or equally? Depends on the form of narcissism we're talking about. So if we're talking about grandiose narcissism or malignant narcissism, so grandiose narcissism, remember, narcissism's on a spectrum. I think this is one thing we want to be. It's not an either or. You're either, it's not that you're narcissistic or you're not. At the milder end of the narcissism spectrum, we have more of what I almost call Instagram narcissists. These are people who are sort of shallow, emotionally immature, vain, um, superficial, validation-seeking. Like, look at me. Aren't I cool? YOLO. Like, but they're 50 in doing that. This is not, like, developmentally appropriate. Okay? As we get the, the mild narcissistic folks, it's still... It's still very difficult, for example, to raise children with someone like that or do like adulting with them. It could be fun to have as a friend, but you're not, they're not going to listen to your problems with any depth. So there's a lack of depth there, but they're probably not doing as much harm in their relationships. As we get to the, when we go to the absolute far end of the spectrum where it's more severe, now we're talking about malignant narcissism. We're talking about something that's almost dangerous for the other person. In some cases, there may be violence and aggression, not necessarily, but we're talking about people who are manipulative, exploitative coercive these people in these relationships might even feel a sense of fear in the middle of the distribution with the moderate narcissistic folks that's where most people sort of find themselves with people where there's the, the behaviors are enough to be problematic to really make it that it's an unhealthy relationship there's a fair amount of manipulation there's a lot of criticism and invalidation and devaluing and all the stuff I've talked about But when we get into that middle ground, there's also enough good days to make people question themselves, but a lot of bad days that leave people feeling terrible. But that alternation between the good and bad is what can really make these relationships confusing. When we're talking about gender distribution, when we're talking about grandiose narcissism, when we talk about grandiose narcissism, we're talking about the narcissism that most of us sort of, the armchair narcissism, the bragging, showing off, snobby, status conscious, look at my fancy car, look at my fancy clothes, look at my fancy boat, I'm getting on a private plane, like that kind of narcissist. Um, More men are grandiose narcissists than women. But there's a form of narcissism called vulnerable narcissism. This is a form of narcissism that's characterized more by uh, anxiety and um, negative moods and resentment, sullenness, a sense of victimhood. Nothing ever went my way. Life didn't go the way I wanted it to. You know, why isn't anyone nicer to me kind of narcissism. Mm -hmm. 
When we look at vulnerable narcissism, the gender distribution is comparable. So it really comes down to the type of narcissism. But if we took all forms of narcissism, there would be more men. And partly it's socialization. Women are taught to be less um, showboaty, to, to sort of brag about their accomplishments. It's how the difference in socialization might explain part of that difference. Women are also socialized to share their emotions more. I am using the binary here. I mean, we, we, we still have research that will need to come out as we, we you know, we account for the variation in gender, you know, the true variation. But in, in what we know, we again, how women are socialized doesn't necessarily always pull for narcissism, but definitely for that more victimized, vulnerable narcissism, yes. Yeah. So much information. <laughs> I know. I'm like... I'm going to have to re-listen to the episode. Tyler, you haven't said much. Do you have any particular questions or things that are coming up for you? No, I'm just listening. I mean, I think that um, one thing that comes up for me over and over again is this is this question around depth, right? Is, is, Is lack of emotional depth kind of a surefire sign of these traits? Not necessarily. I think that, again, remember how we're saying that there is no one thing. I think that's the challenge. Like, you know, never in the world is a bag of flour going to be a cake, right? So eat it for the cake, but it ain't a cake, right? And just like a pepperoni isn't a pizza. So we need the other things. It might hint at a pizza, and I might think there's a pizza coming, but right now I got a piece of pepperoni. And so... A lack of emotional depth is something we can see in other personality styles. Um, it might be simple, like no, sort of non-clinically significant immaturity. It could also be socialization. Mm. You know, again, we have to really account for, especially when we use, again, a gendered kind of uh, approach, how many men, not asking for it, but as boys were sort of socialized out and uh, out of emotion and conditioned out of emotion. Yeah. Boys don't cry. Get up. Get over it. Oh, come on. Wait, wait, wait. And they'll be mocked and shamed for showing emotion. If that happens consistently to a boy or even worse, they face abuse from other figures in their life for showing that emotion, that lack of emotional depth may not necessarily be narcissism, but could actually be a traumatic, uh, sort of a protective traumatic response. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So we have to be careful. See what yeah. I'm saying? Like, there's yeah. so much, there's so much nuance here. So we'd want, like, if that not very emotionally deep person though is kind in their fashion and empathic and as responsive as they can be and isn't doing to undercut things to undercut or leave the other person feeling unsafe, not narcissistic. Mm. Wow, it is complicated, huh? Is. I mean, I. I think that I know you're thinking you're narcissistic probably right now, and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, oh, wait, what part of well, me ever narcissistic right now? I, I think <laughs> what happens is it gets difficult. I first of all, I think anybody with health anxiety like myself mm-hmm. should stay off the internet <laughs> um, because what happens is is like we all have moments of like, oh, I was resentful there, or oh, I was, I don't even know, like shallow there, yeah, or selfish, or we brought up examples but I think what Dr. Ramani has been saying is this idea like it's not this one trait is existing alone and and maybe and tell me if I'm wrong if we're sitting here contemplating and thinking about who we are and what we are and how we engage in relationships that's probably a level of self-awareness that uh someone with narcissistic personality traits wouldn't do so Uh that's sort of a sign Mm -hmm. that like they would be (laughs) like they would be like Oh, no, that's not me. Yeah. Like that kind of mentality, that kind of attitude that like things don't apply to them. Yeah. As opposed to trying to dig and see like, am I doing things in a narcissistic way or at least, you know, that's what I hope. Because I I try, I like to believe I'm very self-aware and I'm always contemplating and thinking about how I can be better and and my approach in relationships um, and things like that. So I hope that puts me far away from having narcissistic personality uh, traits for sure. I I do have a question. Um, 
Have you ever had someone that you've worked with that has done the deep work to be able to unlock that shame, that insecurity in a way that they did regain empathy, regain the ability to maybe not be classified as a narcissist anymore? The problem is, you know, there was a theory, there's a theory, I wish I could remember the author of it, called the rubber band theory of personality. And it applies to all of us, not just, you know, not just narcissistic folks. Personality is like a rubber band, right? If you if you leave it on the table, it's going to be the size it is, but we can stretch it out quite a bit, mm -hmm. right? But the minute we let go, it's going to return to its original size. And what we have to remember about narcissism, and, and frankly, any personality styles, we can stretch out. Introverts can actually try to be the life of the party and maybe even pull it off for a couple of days or go out for a nightclub, to a nightclub and have a good time. But that's but all things being equal, they're going to return to that that normal size a rubber band, and they're not going to keep doing that. For narcissistic folks, what you will see is there may be, for example, if if they're if things are going their way, work's going the way they want, relationships going the way they want, they look the way they want, life is going the way they want. They can actually be quite well regulated and even look very empathic if everything's going the way they want right? So you might have some narcissistic folks who have a really good run. Everything's going the way they want for a while. So they can actually be quite charming, lovely, actually even nice, maybe even empathic. Then things don't go the way they want. Job doesn't go the way they want. They don't get the bonus they want. They don't get the house they wanted. Uh, econ economy takes a downturn. And their business, the, the loss of business means they have to switch up their lifestyle. They're... Um, uh, their kid doesn't get into Harvard. Their, their wife wants a divorce or their partner wants a divorce or wants to break up. Then their reaction will take them right back to old times. They'll go back to those narcissistic reactions. What I have not seen is somebody be able to have the staying power across circumstance, right? And then make amends for it. It's, it's a, it, so that, that idea of sustain, sustain, change in a narcissistic person. When we have documented cases of it in the case literature, what I've really noticed, though, is it's that the narcissistic people who do have sort of the adversity trauma origins to their narcissism, because then they can do really good trauma-informed work in therapy, perhaps even other things like somatic re-experiencing and EMDR, and really unpack some of the core trauma that brought them to this place. There might be more of sort of grace and self-compassion for themselves created through that work, and that might extend forward. Mm. You know, another place that some people have argued that could actually be quite useful for narcissistic folks is 12-step. If you've ever read the big book on um, the, a the AA, mm -hmm. um, you will notice that the entire big book is really about narcissism. It's about alcoholism as selfishness. It's about not noticing others. It's, read it. It is really little, literally a manual of narcissism. So in order for a person to be truly sober, it's not about stopping drinking or stopping using. It's about stop being that selfish person. So if a person just stops drinking, but they're still selfish and lashing out at people, it's like they're a dry drunk, right? So that if we can get them out of that dry drunkness, that, that's 12-step. And 12-step is meant to instill that kind of humility. So, the, I mean, and some people recommend folks, you know, and you're not going to walk into 12-step meeting if you don't have an addiction, but people have addictions and who have some narcissism, I've actually seen 12-step make a dent in it, a meaningful oh, dent. That is, that is great. Uh, I want to go back to the relationship part again when you were speaking to um, like the love bombing and then this idea mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you're trying to get to this good place that either you were before or you imagined for your future. You said something mm -hmm. about 
remembering some good days, even though there are probably more mm-hmm. bad days mm-hmm. than good. And I think mm-hmm. I heard you say this term before, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, was it betrayal blindness and this idea that we mm-hmm. forgive because we're seeing like something that we want in this moment? Or uh, please uh, yeah. clarify if I'm kind of yeah. going in the wrong direction on so that, but I remember no, no, it's multiple pieces. There. So there's this okay. concept called trauma bonding, right? Okay. So trauma bonding is the process of, it's what keeps people stuck in these relationships. Yeah. Trauma bonding is created by the alternation of good and bad, mm-hmm. of idealization and disappointment, mm-hmm. right? And that kind of up and down means good days coming. And people who are trauma bonded often take responsibility for the bad stuff that's ta- happening in the relationship. They justify it. You keep getting into the same arguments over and over again. Mm-hmm. And people in trauma bonded relationships find it hard to leave because it's as though this chaos almost feels familiar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, it's, it sort of creates something that you almost a cycle. You can't break for some people. It's a reproduction of a cycle from earlier in life. And in fact, one of the one of the tells that somebody's in a trauma bonded relationship, and it's happened. I've, many clients I've run into it. They'll be talking about this chaotic, emotionally abusive, manipulative, unhealthy relationship, and I'll ask them. I'll say, "Can you tell me what you love about them?" Every single time, a trauma bonded person will answer, "Okay, doc. All right, now let me think. Give me a second. All right. So, well, it's I. I don't know how to describe it, but." It's like this, mm, I don't know, like it's this connection. Like, I, I, I don't know, like it's like a match. Um, I don't know. It's like, if you ask a healthy person why they love a person, they'll say similar interests. We've been together through so much. I feel respected. I feel sick. The, the, the answers to the essay question just start popping. Mm. The other one's like, uh, uh, they don't, they, it's, that's the trauma bond. You just can't even articulate wow. what it is, right? So that then, and that creates a stuckness that sometimes people almost feel like they say, the idea of leaving this makes me feel like I'm going to hyperventilate, but I know staying in it is hurting me. It's not as though that the trauma bonded person is delusional. They're like, I know this is killing me, but the idea of leaving is terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's trauma bonding. Now, a very related concept to that is this idea of betrayal blindness. Okay. Betrayal blindness okay. is a construct that was developed by Dr. Jennifer Fried. Mm-hmm. And this work is actually really fascinating because what Dr. Fried found was that people will, when we're betrayed by somebody we care about, mm-hmm. by somebody we trust or somebody we know, the harms to us are far greater than if we're harmed by, I shouldn't say greater, they're very different than if we're harmed by a stranger. So healing from this trauma created by a stranger is a different healing process than the trauma generated by somebody we believe was going to care for us or trust us. Complex trauma comes out of those relationships where the perpetrator is somebody who was meant to care for us. Make sense? So she talked a lot about betrayal trauma. That went into this work on betrayal blindness, which is how is it that people are almost simply not, quote unquote, seeing what is literally happening? There's this unreal analogy she shares in her book called Blind to Betrayal. And she it's an anecdote, I should say. And she talks about a woman who was married to a man, and he wasn't a nice guy. He was, he was 
dismissive and critical and rude and they just had a baby and he was tra- he traveled a lot for his work and instead of coming right home from his travels he'd always stop at a bar for happy hour like he just was not a good kind compassionate man and one night a friend of hers said hey we should meet them um why don't we meet the guys in a bar after, you know, a restaurant after work, get, get a babysitter. And she's like, okay, maybe that will help. And she gets all dressed up and it's like a restaurant where they're sitting in the back and she sees her husband come in and the husband sort of kind of starts making out with another woman who walks into the restaurant mm-hmm. and she's approaching the door, right? And he's out of the embrace by the time they finally talk to each other. And she said, uh, why were you kissing that other woman? And he said, I wasn't kissing that other woman. Like it just happened in front of her. And she said, no, 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 just saw you. So he's gaslighting her, right? And he said, no. I mean, she just grabbed me. She, said, well, she thought I was someone else. Like, she, she was totally confused. And the woman told Dr. Fried years later when she interviewed her, she said it was so odd. It was as though I could almost audibly hear it go, whoosh. Like, that doesn't fit in going out to dinner tonight. Whoosh. I want to keep my marriage. Whoosh. It just goes away. Our desire to maintain the status quo is so compelling and it's not happening at an active level that it just sort of whooshes away so things get to stay the way they are. Things get to stay. And they stay and they stay. And though people say, well, this is betrayal blindness thing, this is great, then this means we can make any crappy relationship work. But then what Dr. Fried says is the more of that whooshing we need to do, the sicker it makes us. Because we're in something that's not authentic, that is in essence a lie. One day the dam breaks, whatever it may be. Mm. And when it does, and you talk to folks afterwards, they'll say, I don't know how I didn't see that. And in fact, years later, they'll say, oh my gosh, that's right. I, I totally forgot about that. They didn't really forget. Memory systems, especially memory systems associated with trauma, are sort of interesting. They're sort of these funky closets where you put stuff in weird places. It's all there. It's, it's all, all there. And people say, yeah, now I remember. But the, but by the betrayal blindness protects us. Mm-hmm. And it maintains that status quo. But again, it's not sustainable. And that's, that's where that theory comes from. And, you know, and she even says it extends to other areas. Even when systems are betraying us and we can't, to see the system that way is too catastrophic. She, she offers up another really amazing analogy where she talks about, she talked about a, a guy who was, um, I think he was the only, like one of the few Asian, Asian Pacific Islander kids in his school, one of the only minority kids in his school, I think minority kids in his school, and he really wanted to fit in desperately, and he, he, he excelled at, he tried to excel at athletics, and he, he tried to, you know, be cool and get to know all the kids, but, like, he wouldn't get playing time on the field, and he was really good. He was actually probably better than the other kids in the school, and he blamed himself. He's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not working out enough in the gym. I'm not doing, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Years later, it was very clear this was a very racist school system and and Mm. peers and all of that. But his recollection was it was a lot easier to think I wasn't cool, I wasn't trying hard enough, because the idea that this whole system was racist meant there was no hope for me to ever fit in, and that was too calamitous. That's how betrayal blindness works. It goes all the way to the level of society. Narcissistic systems lead us to do this. I want to make sure that we spend a little time talking about your new book. So please, please tell us about it and what we're talking about Mm -hmm. there. So my new book is called It's Not You, Identifying and Understanding Narcissistic People. There's so many books out there about narcissism, and they're not just recent. There have been some magnificent books out there for a while. 
but not as many of them talk about specifically healing from these relationships. A lot of it is like, this is what gaslighting is, and this is what manipulation is, and this is this, and this is that, and it's all fascinating. Mm-hmm. But we really needed a book about narcissistic relationships that was about the other people and the relationships, mm-hmm. and that you know, sort of getting yourself out of that the mental psych- and psychological prison that is these relationships. So that's what I was trying to do, and I've been really privileged to be a, a, a practicing therapist for a long time, to do research on this, and even have a, a healing program for thousands of people and hear thousands of stories. And when you start seeing that very simple concepts like educating people and getting them to radical acceptance, it doesn't make all the wounds go away, but it definitely people said, thank you. I mm. did. I wish someone had told me. I blamed myself for 50 years. I've, we have gotten letters from people 82 years old who left 60-year marriages and said, I'm finally free. Thank you. So I think that it's not something magical we were doing. It was the willingness to call something what it was Mm. and to also recognize that this isn't sort of of happy, cheery, rainbows and moonbeams kind of stuff. This stuff changes you. I am not considered, I'm not, I don't think it's for the worst, but I definitely think it, it's a loss of innocence. Mm -hmm. There is a, a little bit of a lack of trust in the world that comes. And I say to people, I'm fine with you not trusting the world as long as I can get you to trust yourself. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Wow, That's that is it. a wonderful, yeah. wonderful note to end on. That is right. what we're really hoping to, how where we're trying to move in the direction here at WeShape is that deeper sense Thank of you. self-trust. So we are so grateful for the work that you're doing. Please check out her new book. Yes. Um, please can do people it. Find please order it. Please, please, please. Yes. Yeah, when is it released? It. When is it coming out? So you can pre-order it now, and okay, we would wonderful. love it if you do it. Wonderful for authors when our books are pre-ordered, and then you get it right away. So you can pre-order it now, and we'll give you links and things like that to do that. Yeah. Um, and we have information on my website, social media. I have a YouTube channel. and all those places, we're doing all kinds of pre-release events to give people more information about narcissistic relationships and healing. So if you go to my website, drromany.com, and any social media, Dr. Romany, YouTube at Dr. Romany, you could find out about all of our programs, about the book, learn how to order it. So I really thank you for talking about it too. Absolutely. Yeah, Wonderful. You. Well, it's been a pleasure to connect with you and find out. I mean, my, my I, the whole time I was like, well, this is some, I'm going to have to re-listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you have such incredible information and I love your delivery. So thank you so much. We um, hope to thank cross you. paths again. Thank you for the work you do. I do too. And thank you for all you do to bring people to their best selves. Because I think that for many people who are healing from narcissistic abuse, they're finally ready to actually give themselves permission to take care of themselves. And I think, you know, resources like yours are so valuable for people who are finally coming into their own and can finally cherish themselves. So thank you for everything you do. Wonderful. Thank you again. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Now, before you go, it would mean a lot to us if you could take a moment right now to subscribe to the podcast and then leave us a review. This helps spread the word so more people can feel lighter by shedding one belief at a time. Also, we want to hear from you. So if this episode impacted you or you have any questions that you think would be great for us or any of our future guests, please feel free to email us at podcast at weshape.com. And finally, if you want to try WeShape's different approach to health and fitness, remember that right now you can sign up for WeShape's Feel Good Challenge and get access to everything WeShape has to offer for free. Just click the link in our podcast description or go to weshape.com slash challenge to sign up.